This is Susanna Hills Podcast. We hope this message becomes a revelation in your heart and will encourage you to live a Christ-centered life. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Here's today's message. So we are continuing our journey through the book of Revelation. Remember last time when I was here, the first time we started, I just reminded you that it's one revelation, not two revelations. <laughs> one, one, one of them. Um, but this morning, I'm, I'm sharing with you a very exciting, it's one of my favorite topics in the world to, to talk about. If you've been in Sinaiel for any moment of time, you would know we talk about this all the time, and that is judgment. Yes. <laughs> judgment is coming. Are you ready? <laughs> no, no, I really honestly just joking. It's not something that we talk about often. Uh, but as we are going through this journey, it's a very real reality. And as we've been preparing, um, to be honest, when I, I looked at this passage, I was like, have you guys scheduled all me to preach this? <laughs> but we, just in our, in our preaching meeting and just being able to process this passage, um, I've been so encouraged because if you and I understand that there are two legs in this world that are at work, one is the real reality of judgment that we would face. That is the reality. We live in a fallen world. And the consequence for sin is death. But there is also God's mercy at work. And so we cannot experience mercy if there wasn't judgment. And today we want to be able to look at just God's heart and God's involvement in judgment, but also God's desire that none of us would be crushed or come under judgment, but actually be set free because of His mercy. So God's Judgment in the world is shown in many different ways. We experience that in different places, in different times. Um, obviously, throughout the, the book of, um, you know, the Old Testament especially, uh, we see these examples of, of God's judgment coming upon the earth in the days of Noah. And he has to build an ark. And God is merciful. Even though Noah preaches the gospel for 120 years, nobody repents. Only his family is saved. And God wipes out everyone, not because He is like, I don't have anything better to do, but because of God's heart and desire and His love, He shows His mercy. But judgment still happens. The same thing or similar thing happens you know, in Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, some people say that's Johannesburg, but uh, it's not. <laughs> it's actually, it was actually a place at the time. Uh, just again, the people who had given themselves wholeheartedly uh, to sin and debauchery and just every kind of evil and and God needed to exact His judgment uh, upon that city or those cities uh, because He is a righteous God. And because of the righteousness and holiness of God, it's important for us to understand that that's why He brings judgment. But He, he doesn't bring judgment uh, just simply so that He can say, well, I'm in a bad mood and I feel like it and because I can. But actually, judgment comes because God wants us to experience and taste His mercy. And there's so many instances throughout the scriptures where God's mercy is shown. In the midst of a call for judgment, we see that happen with, with Jonah. You know, he goes to the city of Nineveh, the, the people of Assyria, that's the, the nation that was their capital. They were very bad people, and they actually had harassed and, and you know, tormented the people of Israel for years and years and occupied them. We see these grating and, and um, really just 
disrupt every aspect, kill the, the people, you know, the people of Israel experience great tribulation under them. And so Jonah is sent with this message. Repent. Because God's wrath is coming in a certain amount of time. You have some time to turn it from your ways because you can experience, you can ex instead of coming under the judgment of God, you can come under the merciful hand of God. And we see, as you know, the story many of us do, the king repents and they call a fast and God relents. And Jonah's not too happy about it. He's like, but they deserve to die. They deserve what's coming to them. And sometimes we can read the book of Revelation and we can see, especially as we're looking at these seven trumpets today, we can look at them and go, sure, man, God, wait for the world to get what's coming to it. <laughs> Many people teach it like that. Have you, have you heard it speak spoken like that? You've heard people tell and, and actually proclaim this because, you know, the world's going to get what's coming for it. And, um, and I want you now to see that that in the midst of these judgments, the ultimate expression that we see of God's judgment and mercy is actually found in the cross of Jesus Christ. It says that the wrath of God was fully satisfied in the sacrifice of Jesus. And that should be the starting point for us because it is at the cross that God's judgment is poured out, but it's also at the cross where God's mercy is made available to every one of us that would look to Him. And I'm trusting that I share with us today that we would not be so caught up as much as there are some, whew, there's some hairy stuff to there. There's some really, I mean, if you look at these chapters um, 8 through to 11, there's some things in there I'm like, yo, Lord, this is not good. But the reason why these things are revealed and why these things are going to happen and why they have continued to happen is because God wants the world to turn to Him. And so these seven trumpets follow a very similar structure to what we've been seeing uh, throughout this, this passage or this part of, of Revelation. Uh, we were looking at the seven seals and we see them being uh, revealed in, in like groups of four and then three and then the trumpets come in four and three and then the bowls will come in four and three. It's important for us to see this and each one of those particular outpourings of the seals and the trumpets and the bowls, each one of them give us a particular perspective of what God wants to do. The seals are from God's perspective upon the church. Then the trumpets are now actually God's um, the perspective of the world. What is God going to do in terms of the world? And when we look at the bowls, we're going to be looking from the perspective of heaven, what God is doing in heaven. And I want you to see this again. That throughout this book of Revelation, you remember, this is like a play that's out working, you know, and then sometimes there's these scenes that the curtains close and then they open up again and then we, the whole time we see things happening in, in heaven and then there's consequence on the earth, etc. This important thing for us to, to notice and that's why sometimes it feels a bit confusing when I'm reading this. I go, wait a minute, but where are we at now? You know, I, I remember watching a, a, a play years ago. Which, in which they actually allow the, 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 the audience to almost determine which way it's going to go. It's almost like La Cluda. I don't know if you ever, you know, the, as the game unfolds, you, you get to a, a different concept or outcome based on where, what people say. It was, a, it was brilliant. But maybe you needed to, to keep tabs with what was going on. If you missed one thing, you missed that out. And I think in, in terms of the book of Revelation, some of these dynamics can feel a bit like that. 
But I want to encourage you, as you read it, if you see that it's necessary, it's important for us to be aware of it, because there is a powerful message and dynamic, but there is also a powerful um, uh, outworking for us. So I want you to also see that that judgment and mercy is not just something that we see in the book of Revelation, it's also not something that we only see in the Old Testament. As much as I want to encourage you, the reason why we don't understand the book of uh, Revelation that well is because we don't know the Old Testament that well. Because a lot of the imagery and a lot of the, the outworkings are very, very similar to, to what we see within the two um, different parts of the Bible. But we see ultimately that Jesus says in Luke chapter 12 verse 49, He says that I have come to cast fire on the earth. He's come to bring judgment. But there is also the other aspect in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where he also says that he has come to seek and to save the lost. God brings judgment, but also exudes mercy. mercy. So let's read together uh, for us from um, Revelation chapter 8, verse 7 to 12. It's on the board as well if you want to follow along with me. The first angel blew them his trumpet, and they followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were... Um, uh, thrown upon the earth and a third of the earth was burnt up and a third of the trees were burnt up and all green grass was burnt up then a second angel blew his trumpet and something like a mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed the third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on the earth of the rivers and on the springs of the water. The name of the star was Wormwood. The third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. And a fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars so that a third of the light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. It's a lot of thirds in here. It's a lot of things. And it's interesting to see, we can read into these things, and I mean many people have, have they've made some very interesting um, you know, movies about <laughs> some of these things. And they've come up with all sorts of ideas of what this could mean or what this could mean. And it's important for us to not be so consumed with something of the pictures or the imagery, but rather the message of what God wants to show. And I'm trusting as I share with us today, we'll be able to see uh, just what they mean and how they look, and ultimately also how it ties together. Now it's important for us to see obviously the first four trumpets are judgments, and they've come in the form of hail and fire, the burning of a mountain, the falling of a star, as well as darkness. And um, these natural uh, disasters are actually what it points to. It points to some cosmic or climatic type of events that are going to happen. And these will be signs for us to see. But it is not something new. I want you to see that. It's not the first time that these types of things will start happening. And it will also not be um, the last time until the end obviously comes. We see an example of this. And a lot of these trumpets and plagues actually have very similarities to what we see uh, in the book of Genesis with the people, and Exodus with the, with the people of, of Israel actually being led and set free um, 
by Moses as God comes in and wants to redeem his people. So God exacts judgment on Egypt so that he would be merciful to his people. You and I need to see those dynamics uh, within that. But in Exodus chapter 9, verse 22 to 26, it says, um, The Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards the heavens, so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and on beast, on every plant of the field and of the uh, land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his hand with his staff toward heaven, and the Lord said, Thunder and hail and fire ran down on the earth. And the Lord rained um, hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it began a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. You now need to see this, that when God brings judgment upon the earth, He always provides a way of safety for His people. And you and I shouldn't think of, of all of these dynamics or, or happenings that, you know, somehow God's going to set us free from experiencing, you know, no, no more troubles, no more trials, no more challenges for me. Because we're not exempt from that. The people of Israel, if we look at their circumstances in, the, in Egypt, they experienced judgment in a, or, or trial in a way that, that actually impacted them. As God was exacting judgment on Egypt, they were affected by it. Pharaoh didn't like it. And they experienced uh, resistance in that. But you and I need to see that God will sustain us. And that's what the book of Revelation also helps us to see. That in the midst of the tribulations, in the, in the midst of the trials we experience, that God will hold us safe and keep us from harm. And uh, will actually help us to stand. And that's really what the encouragement is uh, for us. And God wants to obviously then um, bring forth all sorts of other um, you know, calamities. And I'm, going to just, I'm not going to read this uh, passage in Isaiah, but it is on the board there for you as well. But these signs tell us of a whole a host of many, many things. But in the midst of this, you and I need to see that God is in control of everything. We shouldn't be filled with fear, but we should have be filled with faith. And so when we see judgments happen, it is actually good news. But Gareth, that doesn't sound like very good news. It is good news because judgment shows that God cares. It's a way to get our attention. It's a way of getting the attention of the world. And it's a way for us to see that God loves us and that we matter to Him. And it's a way for us to see that we have a choice in the matter. And God doesn't want anyone of us to experience a life that is lived outside of His presence, but actually would be filled with Him. Now, if we look at the, the, the reason why some of these things happen, is actually because the, 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 the saints, if we look at uh, chapter 6 of Revelation, the, the saints have been actually been praying. And they've been martyred, they've been persecuted. And the saints have been praying and asking God, how long are you going to take before you exact judgment on these people for the way they're treating us? 
And so this is in a way a response uh, to that. But we see that there is silence in, in heaven. God brings a bit of a like, <sighs> a bit of a reprieve. But then these next signs begin to un- unfold. Now, I want to quickly talk about some of the, the creepy crawlies and interesting things that we see in this particular uh, uh, passage. And if you read it, you can, you can kind of go like, what, what are these things? Helicopters or... No, no, it's not. The locusts are not Apache helicopters from America. Um, <laughs> I, I remember watching some documentaries and people were like, yo, man, this is going to be serious. Eh? Who can stand in the midst of this? But we see in, uh, you know, in, in, in Revelation 9, verse 1 to 12, there's this picture of these locusts being exactly like kind of unleashed on the earth. And they have all sorts of weird appearances. And they are creatures, and they are described as, uh, you know, they look like, uh, like locusts, but they, it suggests that their nature, or what they come to do, is like a swarm. It's like, it feels like the whole world is got crazy. And everyone has, has been consumed by evil. And has completely given themselves over to these evil desires. I, I don't know, you've been watching the news any times lately. Seems like things are just getting worse and worse. And this is just kind of pictures of what, what is supposed to happen. The world is supposed to be dwelled into greater evil. And, and as I said in our first um, introduction, you and I need to understand that it's this, in this world, the spirit of Babylon is at work. And the rulers and the people of this world, they, they go into that fountain, they're drinking their fill. They are embracing all of what would say it is, is against the knowledge of God. Everything, all of us, that's what the world wants to do. But there will come a time when the world will almost come to their senses. And they realize, man, this stuff is causing us to die. It's killing us. It's, it, it doesn't make sense. We, we can't continue to live this way. And then rulers and kingdoms will begin to repent. People will actually turn there. They will reject these things. But that will only happen once We've come to our senses. Have you ever experienced that perhaps in your own life? You've given yourself over to, to things that you know are not according to God's will and plan. And you've drunk your full. And then just like the prodigal son, you come to your senses and you realize, I've tried to fill my life with all of these things. But they've not satisfied me. In actual fact, it's caused death in my life. And so when we see these demonic forces, because that's really what a picture what these locusts are, the demonic force that comes to torment, um, it comes to, to devour, um, it, it's, it shows us that that is what ultimately will happen in the end and, and in this world, but at some point we all need to come to our senses. And it's God's way of saying, listen, wake up. I don't want you to experience eternal death. Turn while you still can. And so these trumpets are a warning for us. Um, There's so many instances throughout the Old Testament where we see um, the, these trumpets being sounded as a warning. And we see this in Ezekiel 33, verse 3 to 6. It says, He sees the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet to warn the people. Then if anyone hears the trumpet but does not heed the warnings, and the word comes and takes uh, and the sword comes and uh, takes their life, their blood will be on their own hand. Since they heard the trumpet 
of the trumpet, but did not heed the warning, their blood would be on their own head. If they had heeded the warning, they would have saved themselves. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people, uh, and the sword comes and takes someone's life, that person's life will be taken because of their sin. But I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. What is Ezekiel saying? This is really a picture of, of our responsibility in the midst of these trials. Is we should be like the watchmen. We should be like the ones that are that are blowing. We can see the dangers coming. But after what we do is we see the danger coming, it's like, oh man, thank goodness. I'm okay. Me and my family, we're so good. How can I remove myself from the world more and more? How can I just keep it safe? But we should have a greater urgency because we understand, like I said, the judgment of God coming. We also need to inform people of the mercy of God that's available to them. So we have a response. We have a uh, responsibility uh, to do that. And God wants to set the world free from the judgment to come. But we need to understand as well, friends, that honestly, and this this is just the reality, that some people will not heed our warning. And as it says here in Ezekiel, the blood will then be on their heads, but we still have a responsibility. So we want to ask this question, so when did these trumpets happen? You know, many people have got all sorts of timelines, 2012 came and went, and if you remember the Mayan calendar was going to end, and it was going to be hit, you know, we're 10 years, 11 years down the line, oops, somewhere someone missed it, you know. So many people have tried to say, um, some have, have spoken about kind of three possible answers, and, and this is, I think, an important aspect to, to see, because we, if we have a escapist kind of theology, what I mean by escapist is, is, is that as long as I'm in Jesus, God's going to remove me, I'm going to skip over any other trouble. The prosperity gospel says, give your life to Jesus and your life's going to be shut and be cool, no problems. But some people would say or think that these judgments only happen after Jesus returns. So Jesus comes early, you know, before any other tribulations. He takes us all to go be with Him in heaven, play our harps on the clouds, and enjoy His presence. But actually, it's not true. It's not really what happens. These, these things also don't happen kind of while He's here. He comes and in His tribulations and then because why would a, a, a king come that's conquered already? Why would he step into and say, there is no no friends. What this points to is that judgment and tribulation will happen and when it has had its full effect on the world, Christ will return victorious. And so you and I need to see that that's part of what we need to prepare ourselves for. We need to be aware of those dynamics. The next question perhaps we could ask is, what are some of these judgments? And we see that the first four trumpets are judgments that come in the form of natural calamities, earthquakes and um, fires and, and all sorts of dynamics. The fifth and the sixth trumpet speaks to us uh, of, of, of demonic um, oppression and, and just, you know, evil reigning supreme. We also see that there is a, a part of, of Satan being involved 
and being set free, uh, but also then as he falls, because we see this picture, kind of in the midst of it, we see this picture of Satan falling. It's like, where like, how does all of this, it feels to us like, when does all of this stuff happen, you know? Uh, but we see that Jesus actually speaks about this moment happening. Now, that's why when you read the book of Revelation, you can't read it in, in chronological order. You can't think, okay, then this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. A lot of these things are, are things that are happening, happening since Jesus came. We see that, that Satan has fallen, the world's becoming more and more evil. But in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 to 15, it speaks about um, Satan falling. It says, How you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. How you are cut down to the ground. You who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol or hell to the far reaches of the pit. Friends, you and I need to see that obviously that is at the heart of, of Satan, but at the same time it's at the heart of all of us in our sinful desires. We want to exalt ourselves above God. We want to be God. And, and the world wants to be in control. But it's our reality that we need to see that, that God is involved in executing judgment upon the earth through these different things. And as Satan is sent we see all these sort of pictures of there's this guy, uh, Abaddon, which is like a, a leader of these, these spiritual forces that get unleashed on, on the earth and um, is the destroyer, which we see the connection with that in, in John chapter 10. Uh, Jesus says that the, the thief comes to kill, kill and to destroy, but I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. And so again, we have to see that that this is a picture of, of spiritual dynamics that are being outworked in the physical world. Remember the book of Revelation is something that is spoken of in heaven and is, is then worked out in, on the earth and in, in a sense the result of that. But we have to see also that this has some symbolic meaning. Many times people want to interpret these things as literal, but it is actually in the midst of spiritual warfare, you and I are called to stand, but it's also our responsibility to seek and save others that have been caught up in these things. And there are some very real spiritual significance in the warfare that we would experience. And uh, I want to encourage us that when we see these things happen, our response can either be I'm just going to close my eyes. I just want to, it's not there, it doesn't, it's not real. It's like all of this other stuff, this doesn't happen. It's not, not going to come near me. And so many of us live our lives like that. So, so many of us, we see the effects of the enemy's work in people's lives. And Jesus says that when he sends us out in, in Mark uh, chapter 16, he says, you know, as far as you're going to cast out devils, you're going to set the captives free. That's our mandate. And in the midst of people being affected by these spiritual dynamics, we have a responsibility to step in 
think it's important for us to see that we can't turn a blind eye to this. Uh, There's a quote from, from Peterson. He says, Still we do everything we can to make light of judgment. In the midst of all of this judgment, all of this type of thing, we, we want to kind of, ah, it doesn't, it's not going to happen. We want to make light of it. We use every stratagem we can find to avoid dealing with the consequences of sin. But God will not let us off. He will not indulge our inattention. He will take us seriously. However practiced we become at tuning out the sounds that we do not want to hear, including the sound of God's displeasure at sin, God finds new ways to penetrate our defensiveness. Friends, we cannot overlook the reality that God wants to get our attention. And God wants to get the world's attention. And there is a response required of those who are not followers of Jesus. There is a response that they, we even see in the, in the passages. The, the first response is that they, they cry out, they are under such pressure and turmoil that they cry out and say like, I, let me just die. Let me just get out of here. Death is better than what I'm experiencing right now, but they cannot. They cannot experience, they, they cannot receive relief from their, the consequences of God's judgment. And so, that's the first response that the world may have. The second response is that they do what Pharaoh did. They harden their hearts. And they say, well, I'm just not going to, I'm just going to give myself wholeheartedly over to these realities. And there is a sense that that these judgments are, as we see with, with, with John, he gets given this opportunity in chapter 10, where there's a small scroll that the angel has, and, and the angel says, God says, him, take the scroll, and he eats it. And he says, as he eats it, it's like honey in his mouth, but it's bitter in his stomach. These realities are difficult for us to digest. It's difficult for us to come to grips with, why would God do this? Why would we have to go through some of these dynamics? But it's ultimately because God wants to reveal Himself to us. C.S. Lewis said that when you and I experience pain, it's God's way of getting our attention. Whatever pains you may, may be experiencing. Now I want you to also understand that God doesn't cause these things because He's like, okay, cool, mm, let me see, let me put you to the test. We've got to be willing to embrace and, and, and ask God, to speak to God in the midst of some of the things we face. And some of these judgments that we may experience, and sometimes we see tsunamis happening and, and earthquakes, and you've heard the, the, the prophets on, on some of those videos that go around, you know, it's like, yeah, it's God's judgment. They got what they were coming, what was coming to them. It's because of all their sin, you know, look at all these things, that's why this calamity has come upon them. Often it's not the case, friends. But it is a way for God to get people's attention. So the world's going to respond in those two ways. It's either going to want to die, but it cannot. Or it's going to harden its heart. But then the real question for us, for the majority of us today, I'm sure, is, so what am I supposed to do about it? What am I supposed to do with all of these things? And I, I can say to you, I'm, I'm deeply challenged by this because it's so... When I read these things, I want to. I want to do what many of us want to do. Just like, just please let this quickly over. I don't want to engage with it. 
But God does have and does require a response from us as believers. The first thing is that we should recognize God's sovereignty in the midst of these things. Even though we might not be able to understand fully or see fully all of the dynamics that are involved, we need to trust in God in the midst of that. We also need to exercise discernment and be watchful. Because there are some things that are going to happen in our lives and in the lives of others, like we said, God's calling us to set people free or to be aware of the enemy's schemes in our life. We need discernment. And we need to be like Ezekiel, a watchman on the wall that's aware of some of the things that are happening so that we can warn people around us and even be aware of that for ourselves. We need to also understand that there is a spiritual war at work and on the go right now even as, we, as I'm speaking. The enemy is real friends, but our king and our, the victory he's given us is uh, far exceeds his power. And just as Andrea was sharing with us about this, you know, the most powerful person in the village was dispelled by somebody who walked in obedience to Jesus. His very presence threatened the dominion of the enemy. Friends, in the same way, when we step in, not in our own strength, not in our own confidence, but understanding that we have been clothed with Christ. The armor of God is being clothed with Christ. And our desire should be to say, Lord, how can I grow more closely to you? How can I become more like you in every aspect of my life? The fourth aspect or response you and I can have is that we should fill our hearts and lives with God's word. When John is given that scroll, it's a picture of God's word. It's a picture of, of, of him saying, I need to be filled and edified and sustained by God's word. And we need to see, like I said as well, things in the perspective of God's entire counsel. Fifthly, we are called to live with an eternal perspective. I cannot wake up in the morning and just think, well, it's just another Sunday. Many of us do, and sometimes I have that experience as well. Come on, it's just another day. But am I living with an eternal perspective in mind? Thinking and asking God, Lord, how can my, my actions today, the things I say, the things I do, how can that impact the lives of others for eternity? Because if these things are going to happen, and these things are already happening in people's lives, and surely you and I have the answer to help people to experience God's mercy in the midst of judgment. And the last one is then that we will continue to be faithful and to endure. Because that's why John wrote this letter to us. It is to encourage the church to endure and to persevere. And that gives me great hope and great encouragement. That even in the midst of many trumpet sounds and alarm bells going off, you and I can be safe and secure in God's presence. I'm going to ask the music team to come forward. I'm just going to give an opportunity to, to pray with some of us today. I really believe that um, there are some people here today that, that if I had to ask you, are you experiencing God's judgment or God's mercy in your life today? You would say, judging by what you are walking in, and what you're experiencing, that you are not experiencing mercy by judgment. 
And I want to encourage you in the, in the expression of that, in the understanding of that, that, that God's mercy is available to you. God wants you to come out from under His wrath because if you accept Christ, then you and I become one with Him. And that means, the implication is that the wrath of God was poured out upon Him. God's judgment was fully satisfied upon Him. And therefore, you and I are set free from it. And I want to encourage you today, do not allow another moment to go by without walking with Jesus in close relationship with Him. Embracing the mercy that is so freely available. In Hebrews, we see that God says to us, He says, we can enter into His throne, into His very presence, not in fear, not in, in, a, in, a, in a sense of, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stand because I'm not worthy, but it says we can enter boldly into His throne. What do we receive there? We obtain mercy. God's mercy. And we find grace. And grace means that we are empowered to live a life that perseveres in the midst of challenges. And if that's you today, I want to just take a moment to pray with you. That's right. Let's close our eyes. Lord Jesus, I just want to pray for, for those of us perhaps today that want to come out from under your judgment. Lord, I pray that there would be a, a release right now. A freedom and liberty. An encounter with you. A, a filling in our hearts, Lord that says that we have been sealed with you and we've been set free from our unrighteousness. And we no longer live under the threat of judgment and death, but we are now living in the true life you've given us. Lord, I pray for those who may be making that decision. I pray that they would make it public, Lord, by sharing it with someone today. I also pray, Lord, that their experience, I want to say to you, you cannot walk this out. You cannot stay true to what God is calling you to by yourself. You need others and you need to be brought part of a family. You need to be baptized in water. You need to be filled with the Spirit. You need to be added to a body of believers. And I want to encourage you to do so here. This is a good place for you to grow, to know Jesus, to enjoy His life and His love. Today, I want to say to you, because of the decision you make and because of the follow-through that you would do, I believe you'll experience God's grace and mercy. Lord, I want to pray for the rest of us, Lord, that we would not be people who, who wait, hide away, waiting for the end to come, but that we would rather be a people that are intentionally proclaiming as watchmen on the wall, sounding the trumpet, saying... God is coming for a people that have repented. God is coming for a people who love and serve Him. And it, what's needed is we need to turn our backs on our sin. We need to become one with Him. So Holy Spirit, I pray Lord, that You would empower us as Your people. That we would be witnesses of Your kingdom. That You, Jesus, would so fill our hearts and the passion for Your name would drive us out. Send us out into the city. Send us out into our workplaces and our families and our friendship groups that we would make people aware aware of, of the reality 
that each of us will have to give an account. But there is a way out for us as we walk with you, Jesus. Empower us with the Spirit. Amen.